Greetings, uh, church and friends of the church. It's the first week in November 2020, which means that we are almost eight months now into this uh, season of wilderness. Um, wilderness being that metaphorical image of being disconnected from, thrown out from what we used to understand as normal, um, and not yet being at a new normal, wandering somewhere in between. It's a season in which we're not monopolized by uh, going through the motions of either what was normal before or, or what has become the new normal. And so we have this unique chance in the in-between space to think about, to critically evaluate the patterns and norms of our life together, uh, to learn from our past as we're reflective, to learn from our present as we're aware of all that we see and experience in the wilderness, and use what we learn to imagine a future a new normal that is better. In this series, we've reflected on the posture and the assumptions uh, that we can make and take in that exercise, the tendencies and temptations that have evolved within us all that we have to be aware of and in order to really understand and learn, and the need for a spirituality um, that counteracts these physical forces, that tells us a different story about who we are than those natural tendencies. Uh, we've considered uh, many isms uh, that plague us as a people, sicknesses that are the collective embodiment of these natural self-serving tendencies and temptations. It's the first week of November 2020, which means that we are surrounded not only uh, by the wilderness of the pandemic, which we have known for these eight months, but we also know in a unique way the wilderness of the political season. I think it would be pretty difficult to find someone who would describe the current political climate as normal in comparison to what we've known in the past as a nation. And I think it would be just as difficult to find someone who would happily accept the current political climate as the new normal, how we intend to stay unto the future because this feels so good and right. Rather, I think most of us would probably agree that we're in a, we're in a strange political wilderness, an in-between space where we know we can't go back, but we also know that we can't stay here. Outside these doors, we live in a world where we know that the level of antagonism, dogmatism, cultism, and politicism infecting and poisoning both major political tribes is not tenable. The depth of our antagonism and the anger and the violence it has borne as death threats are hurled, as potential assassinations are openly longed for and some even planned, as vehicles are run off the road, as armed mobs seek to intimidate others, as protesters attempt to forcefully stop the votes of others from being counted, we acknowledge that this is not tenable. This is neither a normal to which we became accustomed in the past, nor is it a new normal that we want to accept moving forward. This is us but it isn't us. And when we say things like that, we know that we are in the wilderness. 
And because we are in the wilderness, our focus needs to be intentionally turned toward the self. We must look more honestly and deeply at ourselves and make the changes that are required if we truly wish to move beyond where we are now to something better. If we aren't willing to look at ourselves, to be honest about ourselves, to admit how we need, we need to change, not them, but we, us. And instead, we just continue to focus on and blame others for the way things are now, then we are destined for an even longer season in this wilderness together. Lord willing, it won't be 40 more years of wandering in this wilderness. This election season is, is a mirror that is being held up for us. And we must not turn away as uncomfortable as it will be for some of us to look in that mirror. Watching these two men who are both seeking to represent what tens of millions of real Americans think and believe is like holding up a mirror for us to look at ourselves. All of these isms have been so painfully on display in this process. And we have to admit that they don't just belong to other people, that these isms are a part of us too in the life that we share. We have devolved into two different tribes. We can see it too plainly in the maps that we are continually refreshing as we anticipate the results of this election in the red and in the blue. We have devolved into two different tribes by allowing our own fears and the fears that leaders intentionally trigger within us to constantly activate these physical tendencies within us, to tribalize, to assume negatively about others, and to fight. Gosh, have we been fighting a lot. What we might describe as normal, because it's who we understand ourselves to have been in our past, is that we're one nation under God, indivisible. We might describe as normal the kind of nation that George H.W. Bush was describing when he said, This is America, a brilliant diversity spread like stars, like a thousand points of light in a broad and peaceful sky. We might describe as normal an Americanism that Teddy Roosevelt described as being made of the virtues of courage, honor, justice, sincerity, and truth. We might describe normal to be a life together characterized by our traditional motto, e pluribus unum, from many, one. But our life is not normal. We're not indivisible, but very much divisible. We are a brilliant diversity, but not in a sky that is peaceful. We might see in this mirror before us far more thirst for power or money and far more competing truth claims and alternative facts than we are able to see courage, honor, justice, sincerity, or truth. We might think that our national seal ought to now bear the words e pluribus duo from many to. 
One of my proudest moments as a dad was when our oldest daughter was in the third grade and got to share a speech that she wrote in front of the whole school about what e pluribus unum means to her. As happy and as proud as I was in that moment, I also remember feeling this painful doubt about whether or not it was true. We are indeed many and varied, but are we one? When we look into this mirror before us, if we're honest, it sure doesn't seem like it. And when we look in this mirror, if we're honest, we know that it isn't just someone else's fault that we are here together. The antagonism is a two-way street, a shared dance, and we've all been complicit in the journey away from normal and into this strange and barren wilderness of division. Every time we have chosen the tribe over the nation, every time we have chosen the tribe over even some of our own friends and family, every time we've made a negative assumption about the other and their ideals and their beliefs, every time we turned on a news network or a talking head that reinforced our tribalism and antagonism toward others, Every time we accepted a lie as a truth because it furthered our cause, instead of seeking honor, sincerity, and truth. Every time our political words and hopes were representative of a fight in search of victory over and against, rather than representative of a collaborative effort in search of a common good. This has been our doing. Getting out of this wilderness season is not something that our president or our senate or our house can do for us. Remember, they represent us. They don't lead us to the future that they desire and see. They lead us to the future that we desire and see. If our desires for the future continue to be selfish and tribal, futures that depend on our tribe gaining power and authority over the others, so that we can impose our will on all others, then we will continue to elect leaders who take us on this fool's errand. We will continue to follow them more deeply into the wilderness and further away from the one individual, indivisible nation, the peaceful sky, the honor and the truth, the E Pluribus Unum. E Pluribus Unum was not a phrase coined by our founding fathers. They borrowed it from the cover of a London-based magazine called The Gentleman's Magazine. But neither did that magazine coin the phrase. It's been traced as far back as 500 BC to ancient Greek philosopher Heracletus, who donned his white robe before even Sophocles and wrote in his only work that we know of entitled On Nature, that the one is made up of all things, and all things issue from the one. The central claim on nature is that all things in the cosmos are interconnected, dynamic, forever in flux, and that it's impossible to live in a way that the one life does not impact the nature or the change of all other life. E Pluribus Unum is also found in the work of Cicero, politician and statesman of the Roman Empire who lived and wrote in the first century B.C., this phrase shows up in his treatise from 44 BC entitled De Officis, which uh, is three books about what is honorable, what is to one's advantage, and what to do when the honorable and the private gain 
are in conflict with one another. Cicero was trying, you know, ultimately in vain, to uphold Republican principles instead of seeing the Republic devolve into an authoritarian empire. It is in this work that he wrote, when each person loves the other as much as himself, it makes one out of many, e pluribus unum. He saw that love for the other was the recipe for a Republican unity and the antidote for the tribal isms. E pluribus unum can also be found a few centuries after Cicero in the work of St. Augustine of Hippo, widely recognized as a beacon of peace whose work became foundational in the development of Western philosophy. In his most famous collection of writings called the Confessions, Augustine wrote this, these were the things which occupied my mind in the company of my friends, to make conversation, to share a joke, to perform mutual acts of kindness, to read together well-written books, to share in trifling and serious matters, to disagree without animosity, and in the rarity of disagreement, to find the salt of normal harmony, to teach each other something or to learn from one another, to long with impatience for those absent, to welcome them with gladness on their arrival. These and other signs come from the heart of those who love and are loved and are expressed through the mouth, through the tongue, through the eyes, and a thousand gestures of delight, acting as fuel to set our minds on fire and out of many to forge one. E pluribus unum is a central part of the story that the Hebrew scriptures tell us as a collection of writings, the story that starts with one family of Noah and sons and grows into this large and fractured extended family of cousin tribes, and then has this one branch of the family tree, the descendants of Abraham, who become God's partner in gathering the many branches back into the oneness of peace together. E pluribus unum is a central part of the story of Islam, as the Quran claims that Allah, which is just the word for God in Arabic, says to the world, O mankind, we created you from male and female and made you into nations and tribes that ye may know each other, not that ye may despise each other. And as adherents, uh, living by the principle of jihad, which doesn't mean terrorism or war or fighting, but is the Arabic word for struggle, as they struggle against all these human forces and selfish desires that tend to keep the many nations in places of despising one another rather than knowing one another in that place of oneness and peace. E pluribus unum is a part of the Christian tradition in which I locate myself. Jesus consistently rejected the fearful false narratives of tribalism, instead affirming his connection with uh, persons from every race and nation. He called, taught, welcomed, healed, touched, affirmed, forgave, ate meals with, and proclaimed peace to Jews, Greeks, Romans, Samaritans, women mentally and physically ill, and people from every political faction, Pharisees, priests, Roman governors and centurions, zealots, etc., etc. His goal was never to reinforce power dynamics in favor of one tribe or faction, 
but to nurture this sense of mutual belonging and shared commitment to the common good among them. He taught time and time again that the way to peace and to well-being was not in the antagonistic exercise of force over and against the other. It wasn't in tribal, tribal victories in either force, physical force, or in ideology, but it was in putting down our swords, forgiving, acting with love for one another, including those that we are tempted to label as enemy, breaking the vicious cycle of antagonism and violence that will not end until we love one another. Early Christian leader Paul wrote to a group of Jews and Gentiles who were starting to get antagonistic and divide into factions. He said, Jesus and his way, this, this is our peace. He has made both groups into one and broken down the dividing wall that is the hostility that is between us. He has abolished the laws and its commandments and ordinances that he might create in himself one new humanity in place of the two. E pluribus unum. E pluribus unum, it's a, it's a part of the Eastern philosophy that developed out from these beginnings, not just in religious ideology, but in just general philosophy and, and sociology as well, like uh, Heraclitus and Cicero. It's not just this pie-in-the-sky religious idea, but a, ver a very much tested and tried and true means of secular social order. This is why it became foundational in Western civilization, because it was understood to be the ideal social order to achieve a civilization of life and liberty in the pursuit of happiness. It seems obvious, but it also seems like we're constantly forgetting this, that if we treated others the way we would want them to treat us, loving, forgiving, respecting, uh, honoring, seeking the well-being of the other, if we did that, then we wouldn't hurt and kill one another, and we would be at peace. Cicero warned that a lack of love for one another destroys the republic and opens the door for the empire. So this kind of... Um, tribal-based authoritarianism that many fear is infecting our nation as well as so many other nations in the world. Augustine invites us all to see what the ideal human life really is, which is not one of conquest, victory, power, oppression, but one of performing mutual acts of kindness, disagreeing without animosity, intentionally forging one out of the many by words and signs directed toward one another that come out from hearts of love for one another, not hearts of hate. So then, why is it that we are so far away from living this beautiful ideal? Why have we strayed so far from this insistence upon e pluribus unum and the love for neighbor that makes this kind of civil order that we would love to say someday is our normal? Why are we so easily divisible? Why are we lacking the peace in our skies? Why are we turning away from honor, civility, justice, and truth? Why are we plagued by these isms? It's my understanding that we're here in this place of e pluribus duo because we've lost our ability to listen to what these foundational spiritual and philosophical voices tell us about who we are and how to live together in peace with well-being and liberty and, and the ability of all persons to pursue happiness. These voices that shape the founders of our religious and political movements, that shape the definition of what ought to be our normal outside these doors, are being drowned out 
by this cacophony of voices screaming at us from within, from these fearful places of self-preservation. The voices telling us to tribalize, to make negative assumptions about others and their motives, even if they are categorically and observedly false, and to turn against others with antagonism. The voices telling us to elevate the self above the other, to seek power and leverage over the other, and to nurture a God understanding that reinforces our fears, our tribalizing, our willful acceptance of false assumptions about others, our self-focus and our antagonism. They are telling us the lies that they can protect us and ensure our well-being. And yet they deliver the opposite, more fear and unrest. <clears throat> in the coming episodes uh, in this series, I'm going to offer some suggestions for practices that can help us all to turn down the volume of these animalistic tendencies that are screaming at us from within and to turn our ear to a different voice, the voice of e pluribus unum, the voice of the golden rule, the voice that's been trying for millions of years to evolve more deeply within humanity so that we would finally get it, so that we would finally understand that it's not in our ability to act reactively and irrationally with force and antagonism to these physical triggers that will ensure our well-being and our safety. Because violence just forever breeds more violence. But that it is in our ability to act rationally and intentionally with love and a common commitment to the truth that we can and will discover an end to this cycle of primitive violence and division and the dawn of a new era of well-being and liberty and justice and peace. How this presidential election goes will indeed <clears throat> have an impact on our future. But I believe that won't primarily be true because of who is elected. There is neither imminent doom nor salvation because of who wins this election. It will have an impact on our future because of the ways that it is a mirror held up to us now, offering us a choice. Ignore or celebrate what we see, commending ourselves to more of the same, more of the same wilderness and antagonism and division moving forward. We could choose that based on what we see in the mirror. We could either ignore it or we could celebrate it. Or we can honestly name who have, we have become. We can be honest about what we see in the mirror. And then we can do the hard and humble work of becoming better versions of ourselves in search of a more normal and peaceful future. We stand at this place, at the meeting of dark and light. And we get to choose. We get to choose far more than a name on a ballot. What we see in the mirror because of this election, this is us. This is me, this is you. Look carefully. 
Pay attention to that place deep within you that is longing to move through this wilderness and get back to the normal nation that we have always meant, been meant to be. E pluribus unum, indivisible, stars in a peaceful sky, people of honesty, courage, sincerity, justice, and truth. Stay safe, stay home, wear a mask, be well and protect the well-being of another, love an enemy, Love a neighbor. Peace to all.